Uh, Jonah was uh, sent by God, asked by God, called by God to go to these, these Ninevites, uh, these Assyrian people, Assyrian people, and he hated the mission, so he ran from God. Uh, God, uh, he was on a boat, God threw, a, the, uh, threw him into a storm, uh, and long story short, some sailors threw Jonah into the ocean, and a big fish came and swallowed him up. And so we pick up the story with Jonah uh, inside the belly of a fish. Now, let me uh, start with prayer, and we'll get to the perspective that Jonah brings to this situation. God, I thank you for this moment. Father, I pray for a movement of your spirit. Father, there, are, there is a room full of lives, Father, lives that matter and lives that can only be changed by a movement of you, a movement of your spirit, Father. We confess knowledge that this, this whole experience is in vain without you moving and working through it. And so, Father, we thank you that you are a God that is here, you are a God that cares, and you are a God that wants to see lives changed today. Thank you in your powerful name. Amen. This is a story, I saw this on Facebook uh, because I had a few friends share it, and it wasn't political, uh, and so I read it. And uh, it's from the website Upworthy. Anybody ever, ever look at this website, Upworthy? It shares a bunch of things that are positive and uh, doesn't leave you, like, hating yourself after you read it. Uh, and so it's positive. Uh, and so here's a guy uh, that is a college student and shared a story via Twitter because hashtag Twitter, that's how we talk nowadays in a bunch of tweets. Uh, and so here are a bunch of his tweets uh, and how he had a perspective change. It says, hey, guys, I know I usually post crappy jokes on Twitter, uh, but bear with me because I I want to share something. So in one of my management classes, I sit in the same seat uh, in the front every single day. I sit in the exact same seat. I also sit next to some foreign guy uh, who barely speaks English. The most advanced thing I've ever heard this guy say is, wow, my muffin is really good. This guy also has a habit of stacking every single item he owns on the exact space that I sit. His bag, his food, his books, his phone are always right on my desk space. Now, every time, every single time I walk into class, he says, Ah, oh, Tom, you're here. Okay. And he starts frantically clearing my desk of all of his belongings, and he makes a habit to then say, ready for class, huh? And then gives me a big high five. Every single day, this guy gives me a high five. He says, I'm always annoyed about this guy thinking, dude, I, you know I sit here every single day. Why are you stacking your crap here? The last thing I want to do is have a guy who barely speaks English give me a high five at 8 in the morning. Just get your crap off my desk. But today I came to class and I was running a few minutes late. I was standing outside because I had to send a quick text. I could see my usual space uh, through, the, through the door. Uh, in the corner of my eye. Of course, my desk was filled with his belongings, the usual. As I'm standing there my f on my phone, another guy walks in late to class, and he tries to sit in my seat though, since it was close to the door. The guy sitting next to me, that usually sits next to me, was sitting down, and he says, I'm sorry, my good friend Thomas sits here. It was then that I realized this guy wasn't putting stuff on my seat to annoy me. He was saving my seat. The whole time he saw me as a friend, but I was too busy thinking of myself to take him into consideration. As cheesy as it sounds, I was touched. I ended up going into class, and of course he cleared his stuff and said, Ah, oh, Tom, you're here. Okay. And gave me a big high five. 
He says after, uh, since he was so touched by that, afterwards he took him to, uh, uh, to lunch and, uh, and found out uh, that Thomas is, or not Thomas, the other guy, is uh, from the Middle East and he was here taking classes. And uh, he works full-time and is a full-time student and is sending all of his money back uh, to the Middle East to support his family. And, uh, and he said that breakfast or lunch, whatever it was, ended with a huge high five and thanks for lunch type of a thing. He needed a perspective change, and he got it when he was late to class. Perspective guides our attitude. And attitude is going to guide life change. And so some of us come into this story and come into this, this room needing a perspective change. And I think that's what Jonah needs this morning. When you, when you think of the story of Jonah, how is Jonah now going to move forward? Is Jonah thankful or is he not thankful? Like, if you're, like you could say, hey, there was this big storm. I was thrown into the sea. And a fish swallowed me up. You have so much to be thankful for, Jonah. But then if your perspective is different than that, your perspective could be, well, great. I'm sitting in a stinky fish. It's still a life-threatening situation. Thanks, God. Here I sit, ready, rotting away in the belly of a fish. I'm going to die. What perspective is he going to bring to us now today in Jonah chapter 2? And this is how... The chapter starts, then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. From the belly of Sheol, I cried. And, and that's, a, that's a fancy word, but back in the day, the people that are writing that would see that as death. That would, they would see that as something certain and final. That this is, this is rock bottom of sorts. This is something you can't escape death. This is something that is unescapable. And so he uses that word. And, he, and you heard my voice. You cast me into the deep? Do you, do you, you cast me? Who, who, but if you were here last week, who threw Jonah into the water? Wasn't it the mariners, the sailors that picked him up and threw him into the water? But Jonah is starting to gain a little perspective. He sees God's actions behind the mariners. He sees that it was God that used the mariners to throw him into the sea, into the heart of the seas. And the flood surrounded me. All your waves, all your billows passed over me. He's at the top of the sea. Then I said, I was driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again on your holy temple. Temple is that Jonah's a prophet. He speaks on behalf of God. Temple is his, his place of employment. He can't get to the temple while he's sitting in the belly of a fish. He's looking forward. He's slowly gaining perspective. He's slowly changing his direction. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. You see the language changing. It goes from waves crashing over me to now weeds. Jonah is slowly going deeper and deeper and deeper in the ocean. And the roofs at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. You, oh Lord, my God. Jo Jonah uses a very, a very specific word when he uses bar. That's, that's a word that in the Hebrew can, can mean two very different things. But are, are, are at the same time similar. <laughs> it's a word that means sandbar. So Jonah hits the bottom of the ocean. He hits the sandbar, and that's where the Lord meets him. But it's also a word that can mean bars like a jail. He sees that he's imprisoned by his actions. It's a very specific word. He's very creative in using that word to say, this is where I've hit. I have hit rock bottom, bars of sorts. And, he, and he, he's looking at it as God has put him in this desperate place. 
Like, wouldn't you and I think that, like, when we think of a loving God, a God that is relentlessly love, we call this, this series Relentless Love, wouldn't we look at God and say, well, God threw Jonah into the bottom of the ocean, and now there's a fit, like, God's a God of relent, like, God brought fury upon Joseph, I mean, Jonah, and like, what? Would we look at him as love? But as a parent, we can, we can understand that, can't we? I had my kids two summers ago were racing on Long Beach Island, and I would say to them, you can run to this mailbox, and they would run to this mailbox, and they would chase each other to that mailbox, and, I would, and they would stop there, and they would wait for me. We kept doing that, but then they were running, and one looked at the other, and they got all sorts of competitive, and they blew past the mailbox, past a stop sign, past an intersection. I could not walk up to my boys and say, well, boys, I really wish you wouldn't have done that. That wouldn't have been an appropriate response. I brought fury upon them because I wanted them to understand, never again do you run through an intersection without looking. You listen to daddy because daddy doesn't want to see you under a car. God brings his holy perspective to Jonah, and of course he brings fury because he wants Jonah to learn something through this. But then the Lord meets him in his distress. If God sees you turning back to God, no matter if you're at the bottom of the sea, if you're drowning at sea, God is there to meet you when you turn to him in distress. Because Jonah is looking at this. He's mentioning the temple. that It doesn't have to be a permanent situation. Jonah is slowly starting to realize that but look how far he had to go to for God to get his attention it's not like you know like the humpback whale or a nice little dolphin that like goes nice and out of the water it's not that didn't happen the sailors didn't throw Jonah into the into the into the ocean and a big fish got him up in the air Jonah hits the water fish isn't there Jonah goes deeper, fish isn't there. Jonah goes deeper, fish isn't there. It's at rock bottom that the fish comes and swallows him up. He doesn't appear instantly. God did what God needed to do to get Jonah's attention. Until he realizes he had hit rock bottom and his death is a certainty. Unless God shows up. That is an element of salvation. Salvation is a two-part thing where, where we first realize I can't save myself. Death is going to happen. I, can, I am powerless. And then I need Jesus. Only Jesus can meet me in this need. That is rock bottom when we are left with but one place to turn. And so for me, rock bottom was a handful of years ago where drinking had got the best of me, where I had made decisions, I had hurt people, and that I wished so badly that I could take back. Rock bottom for me was real, the realization, want as you want to take away your past actions, you can't. And at rock bottom, my career was in jeopardy. At rock bottom, my marriage was hurt. At rock bottom, my friendships were hurt. At rock bottom, I had to come to terms with my own church. And I had to come to terms that I was capable of repeating these actions over and over again. Unless I made changes. Rock bottom was to say, Jason, you're delusional to think that you're in control. Rock bottom was, was, Jason, you are delusional to think that your actions aren't hurting anybody else. That is all delusional thinking. 
And so I had to move forward from that place because that's what happens. We, we feel like, well, we can take on the world, and then we jump headfirst into the sea thinking we've got this. We're thrown into the sea. We start drowning. We get in over our heads, and we reach rock bottom where we say there is but one place to turn, and it's God alone. That is why at Wellspring Church we do not preach a higher power. At Wellspring Church, we preach the higher power, Jesus Christ, because at rock bottom, there is but one place to turn, and it is the name of Jesus. And this is how he now continues. He says, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my, my prayer came to you in your whole, holy temple. He's talking as if God hears his prayer because God does hear his prayers, even in the middle of an ocean in the belly of a fish. And those who pay regard to vain idols, he's talking about idols as, as worthless, meaningless. All of what you turn to is meaningless outside of God. Forsake their hope of steadfast love. A few months ago, we did a series about gratitude. We looked through some of the, the Psalms about being thankful. And, and we use this word love being chesed, hesed love, however you want to pronounce it. This is loyal love. This is the highest form of love that for God being loyal to his people. Forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. And what I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. As you look at that, parts of that are beautiful. But do you, as, as you see remorse, do you, do you see him at all promising, God, I'll complete the mission. God, you've called me to the Ninevites, and I will go. He's sorrowful, but he's not quite there. But in his oxygen-deprived mind, he knows that there is one place for me to turn. As he hits rock bottom, where does he go? To God. Where you and I must go. We must seek God for full repentance. And I guarantee you, you may have walked in here not wanting to reckon yourself with a holy God. But I guarantee you, if you get, to, if you get the privilege of coming to the end of your life and you have the privilege of thought, you will think of God. God at that moment will not be an afterthought. And so for Jonah, God is not an afterthought. He goes to God. He sees salvation as a work of God. He compares it to idols. Idols could be, could be any. It could be your friendships. It could be your dating relationships. It, it could be drinking or drugs. It could be your finances. Whatever an idol might be where you place a thing over God, God has a way of making sure that your idols will break down where you're left with one point, but God, he sees this. God, Jonah is saying, if you want to turn to idols in your time of need, what will your idols do? When you hit rock bottom and your friends have gone away, the booze isn't cutting it. The drugs aren't cutting it. When whatever rock bottom is for you, when you're all alone, how can your idols provide you mercy in your time of need? So Jonah turns to God because he sees God as trustworthy, reliable. He commits thanksgiving to the Lord. He commits his ways to the Lord. He's saying, I will vow, I will promise, I will do these things. But as you read this, you don't see him promising to do anything with, with the Ninevites. You see, him, you see him thankful, but is he really, really remorseful? 
It, like as you read this, he, he brings up idolatry. He brings up idols, and it's kind of out of nowhere. He, he, he's looking at it, and he's saying, well, I'll go to the temple. I'll make my sacrifices, but I'm not like the pagan sailors. I'm not like the Ninevites. He's, he's, being, he's, he's claiming like piety. He's, he's, he's trying to be all religious. I'm not like these people. And this, this is a, an abrupt reference to idolatry. He's contrasting himself to people that don't have it all together. What it shows is that Jonah is a man in conflict. He's sorrowful, but he, he doesn't quite see it completely. He's a changed man to a point, and he's coming to new realizations, but he hasn't come fully to these, these realizations, but he knows enough. He's thankful enough to take a step. Why? Because what he knows is that I was drowning, sinking deeper, sinking deeper and deeper and deeper, and God in his relentless love, and God in his great mercy, God in his, in his relentless nature met me at rock bottom, swallowed me up with a fish, and here I am. He knows enough to take a step and declare that salvation is in no one else but the Lord, although he doesn't have everything together. He is thankful, yet still in mortal danger in the belly of a fish. And so sometimes we get in rock bottom, and we feel hopeless and helpless, and we don't know how it's all going to work out. One of the things that we value here is simplicity. Simplicity. Keep it simple the end. Because life is really complicated. Life, life we, we don't know how, how, we don't even know sometimes how to take a step. Sometimes we get to rock bottom. We feel like the grave is digging in over us. And, and we want to we get out of rock bottom with like a backhoe or a bulldozer or whatever Tonka trucks I used to play with. I don't really know those machinery. But, but we, we try to do that. And we're like, we stay in rock bottom because we think a backhoe needs to come in and take us out. So we never take a step because unless we're going to fully get out, we're, we're not like Jonah is a confused person but he's willing to take a step so when when I hit rock bottom one step one step was just Jason work on your marriage one one step was Jason work on your friendships and say you're sorry and even if you never want to be friends with me because I don't deserve your friendship I'm sorry and I'm going to commit to making changes one step for me one shovelful to dig me up and out of of the grave that I had dug myself in was, was looking to my church and saying, I will do whatever the elders say. I will, I will submit to whatever I need to change, whatever punishment might need to come, come against me. I, I deserve it. And I had to submit to that. One, one shovel floor, the most important shovel full to dig myself out was looking before God and saying, God, I have done wrong and I have sinned against you and you only. I could, have, I could have got lost in all the things I could have done to dig myself out of rock bottom. I could have had a thousand other conversations. I could have run home to mommy and daddy. I could have done this, that, the other thing. There was a thousand things that I could have done to confuse me, but all those things would have just kept making it complicated and complicated and kept me in rock bottom. But instead, I wanted to take just a few small steps that over time would grow and build and dig me up out of rock bottom because a few small steps over time really does start to add up to dig us out of rock bottom. And so you came in here in rock bottom. What small step do you need to take just to move forward and say, God, I'm going to stop running. I'm going to stop running this direction, and I'm going to start with one step, 
one step in the next direction. What do you need to do to cling to the mercies of God? Because here we are today, and I will tell you, how far will the mercies of God go? It will go to the bottom of a sea to swallow up a rebellious prophet. It will go wherever you go. Mercy will is there to meet you. Because a God who is everywhere is always in an earshot no matter what you've done. I don't know your life circumstance, but I don't need to. Because I know that my God can bring beauty out of ashes. I don't need to know your situation to know that you are not too far gone. For God to have, be a merciful God in and up in your life. And so it starts with one step. Even if you don't have everything all together in your thinking or even just take a step. And this is how the chapter concludes with Jonah. He says, and the Lord spoke to the fish and vomited Jonah up upon the dry land. Yeah, this is all, this, 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 this prayer, this, this 10 verse chapter is all we know from the belly of the fish. This is all we have, but it's a short and powerful prayer of Jonah going before, before God. And, and, and here he describes the fish as the perfect example of obedience. God spoke, the fish listened. That's it. There was no back and forth. Just I speak, you do, and that, that is it. And, and then the fish hears from God. And hawks a loogie of Jonah up and out onto dry land. Like Jonah's probably flailing his arms up and out like the, like, and gone. Like Jonah's out. And as ugly as that might be, a picture of a fish hawking loogie, whatever, it's nonetheless less a picture of salvation. And Jonah experienced the very thing that God wants the Ninevites to experience. A God who is relentless love. And wants people to find dry land of his mercy. I met with Bobby this week to get a little bit more of his story. Because he, he was telling me uh, back when we did that F-bomb series on forgiveness or, or leaving relationships fractured. And uh, we, we, he came up to me after one of the services. I was really wrestling with what you were saying. I've been really wrestling with the text that we've been in. And, and he came up to me one week after church and said, I, I made the decision to, to have lunch with my brother today after church. And, and, and he said, I haven't talked to my brother in nine years. So when I was picking his brain on it, he's like, he admitted, like, this was, this was my doing. <laughs> uh, I, I, was, I was selfish in my, in my viewpoint, in my perspective. Uh, I, I wasn't viewing his actions from the right perspective. And, and because I looked at what he, was dead, what he did from my own jealous lens, I started to treat him poorly. And I drove him away. And we haven't spoken in, I think he's five or nine years, whatever it was. But many, many years we haven't spoken. And he's missed my son's graduation. He's missed certain things because I drove him drove him away, and, and he was convicted by, by, by the sermon series. He says, I'm, go I'm going to have lunch with my brother. He, he had hit rock bottom of, of the relationship is gone, and, and for him, he could have said, well, what about the conversation, or what about, what about this? Well, what, should he come to Christmas? Should he worry about presents? Should we, should we exchange it? He could have gone in a thousand different directions of where, where I can go to restore this friendship, but he kept it simple and said, I'm just going to start with lunch. Let's just get lunch together. And they have experienced Christmases. Now, they, they have experienced, now his brother is coming along around his house. Now his, his, his sons that, that have, have had no relationship with, with uncle have now have a relationship. And it started with one simple thing. Let's just get lunch and see where it goes. Take a step. God didn't vomit me out onto dry land, but I can tell you this is my dry land. I don't deserve any of this. I don't deserve to be your pastor, but God, rich in mercy, and here we are. I'm encouraging you. Like Jonah, Jonah, before he even got uh, 
out of the fish, he was praising God. He's praising God as he, as he makes a step to, to show repentance. He's praising God even after the fact. We, can pray, we just need to take a step and we can praise God before, during, and after. The, the point of this is to praise God. Don't let God be an afterthought. The big, our big thought for the morning, what I hope you take away with is, is that no matter the situation, salvation should always motivate gratitude. What comes first? Gratitude or dry land for Jonah? It was gratitude and then dry land. It was gratitude and then he's out of rock bottom. Now it's a narrative. It's not always like that. Just because you praise God this morning doesn't mean everything's going to be fixed when you go home. But it can be that order. God might meet us when we start saying, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to praise you. And so Jonah, Jonah, here, like think about Jonah. Jonah is saved but not fully rescued. There's tension there. Jonah is thankful, but he's still protesting God a little bit. He's, he's, he's thankful to God, but he still disagrees with the, the Ninevites and stuff. He's, he's thankful, but he's still in the belly of a fish. He's thankful, but things are uncertain. He's thankful, and he still has questions. He's, he disagrees with God, but he has the integrity to praise God. And then guess what? God receives it. Because God who is transcendent above our understanding, knows that we are not going to come to him in praise having every question answered. He's above our understanding. There's, you're going to walk in here with, with, with complexities of faith. You're going to walk in here and, and, and have your own questions. You're going to walk in here and there's going to be tension, but yet we can know that God is good and we can still praise him. We're going to know that, that faith isn't as simple as pure obedience versus pure rebellion, that there is this middle road where we're struggling in our faith. Jonah presents that to us, this prophet that is, that is real, that is honest, and is that honestly struggling. He's at a crossroads of his faith, and you walked in here at a crossroads. Some of you, whether it's what you did last night with a boy or a girl, or you walked in here with alcohol still on your breath from the night before, maybe you have hit rock bottom, and yet you want to praise God, and you don't even know where to start. Maybe Maybe you're, you're, you can't praise God because you don't all have all of your theology worked out, but you're saying, God, I want to praise you. God, I have questions. God, I want to trust you in this situation, but I don't see a good outcome. God, thank you for loving me, and thank you for the mission of your son and what it's meant to me. But God, really, this uncle, this person, this person needs your love. You come in here with questions, and in that crossroads... You and I need a perspective change to start seeing life as God sees our lives, as God sees us moving forward. And God has a unique way of turning life upside down. JJ, are you still here? JJ, get up here for a second. I'm going to have JJ uh, read a poem. He's in our youth ministry. Uh, he's a, he has, here I hear this one, bud. Um, I'm going to have him read a poem. And uh, it's a poem that, that then he's going to do a dramatic pause. It's okay to be dramatic in this moment. Uh, so read the poem, the, the blue side, and then have a dramatic pause, and then read the red side. And what the red side indicates is he's going to read the same poem line by line, but he's going to do it backwards, uh, read each line backwards, and so he'll do it in descending order, whatever it is. So read the first, the blue portion of the poem. Satisfaction and happiness don't last, and it's not true that it's all in the mind and heart, because true happiness can be attained only if one's surroundings are good. 
if it's not true that good exists. I'm sure you can agree that the reality creates my attitude. It's all beyond my control, and you'll never in a million years hear me say, today was a very good day. Okay, dramatic pause. Now read it backwards. Today was a very good day. You'll never in a million years hear me say, it's all beyond my control. The reality creates my attitude. I'm sure you can agree that it's not true that good exists, only if one surroundings are good, because true happiness can be attained. It's all in the mind and heart, and it's not true that satisfaction and happiness don't last. Some goodness does shine through once in a while, even if this world is a pretty evil place, because when you take a closer look, there's something good in every day. And don't try to convince me that today was the absolute worst day ever. Thank you, JJ. Thank you. We're going to have a seat, too. Appreciate it. Sometimes we just need our perspective turned upside down. And when we change our perspective, we'll, we'll see Jesus through this passage. Some of us are at rock bottom. We came in here and we needed to cling to Jesus. And so my challenge to us today is, 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 is a weird one. My challenge to us today is that we would praise God. Because I know that some of us walked into this room at hitting a road, hitting a barrier where we don't have theology, we don't have circumstances, we, like things aren't clear in our own mind. And we walked in here not willing to praise God. My challenge to you is to let yourself, give yourself over to worship and praise of God because he's there to meet you with his mercy even at rock bottom. And I, I am completely convinced that gratitude for Jesus, if you understand the depth of his love, it is unaffected by your circumstances because your circumstances do not determine the goodness of God. God is good because his son died for me. And I know the love of God because I know Jesus Christ. And I am going to start there. When you read this passage, hear Jesus' words on this passage. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. But no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah's, Jonah was, in the, was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the, man, the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up with, at, the, at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The belly was not a place that we thought we would see rescue. The tomb was not a place that we would see rescue. This was not, that life was not supposed to happen outside of the belly. Life was not supposed to happen outside of the tomb. But there God is. Survival and life flowed from those places. Jonah did not expect to live when he's tossed up and up over the sea. Jesus, he, Jonah did not expect deliverance. But here Jesus is saying, I will die and God will be my deliverance. Jonah will speak the truth of salvation, that salvation is in God alone, but he is still at odds with God, and God will send his son to die, hang on a cross, knowing that the world is still at odds with him and his son, that the world has not fully then right reckoned themselves to God. Jonah is rescued, saved, protected, but yet he's still captive 
in the belly of the fish. And you and I, we cling to the name of Jesus and we are held captive by the beauty of the gospel of Christ. Where Jonah lives with expectation within the belly, you and I live with expectation that we serve a Jesus that is coming back and he will take us home. Where there was a belly, there was a tomb. Where Jonah was hurled out, hurled out, the stone was rolled away. Where the fish was provided, Jesus was provided. Where there was drowning, there is rescue. And where there is certain death, there is new life to be had in Christ Jesus. And I... I'm encouraging you to be grateful for that life and to stop running, but to turn to Jesus. And so I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite some of you to stop running for the first time. I will say a prayer. I'm going to invite you to pray before God and say, God, I'm, I'm done sinning. I'm, God, I'm done running my own way. God, I want you. I, want to, I thank you for the mercy of your son to cling to that. I will pray, I will ask you to raise your hand and look at me at the end of that prayer and I want to have a few words with just you and then we will erupt in praise at new life like the angels do. So let's start with prayer. God, I thank you. God, I thank you for this moment. I thank you for these people. Lord, I know, Father, I am certain that people came in here running from you. Father, may they run no more. Father, may to be the day be the day of salvation. May today be the day where they say, I do know that there is a God of mercy, and I want that God of mercy. Today I will cling to that God of mercy. And if that is you, in your seat, pray something along these lines to your merciful God. God, I am sorry. God, I repent. God, I have done wrong, and I have been an affront to your perfect holiness. I am not perfect. God, why you would choose to show me mercy, why you would choose to extend to me mercy, I do not know, but I take it. I declare and I want your mercy. I'm thankful for your mercy. I praise you for your mercy. And today, I will live my life moving forward as one who has received mercy. Thank you, Jesus. And if that is you, I ask you, and I'll ask people who are still in a position of prayer, to raise your hand and look at me. If I could see your hand, I want to say something specifically to anybody that just said, I am done running, and I am going to turn my life to Jesus. Thank you. I am asking that you guys would get involved in community, that you would get involved in a relationship, that you would stop running by yourself and get a starting point. Get into a life group and stop running. And now we join the angels worshiping and praising God for new life. Let's praise. Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to stay connected, go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on Facebook or Instagram, and if you would like to help us with our mission of igniting a craving for Jesus by relentlessly loving our community, you can find the link to give and all the other ways to connect with us down in the description box below.